This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. is Michael Lortz. Woo! Woo! Okay. Hi there. Have, not have we gone back? <laughs> no, I haven't looked up whether they put a track there. Otherwise, we're just cheering. Okay, let's talk a little bit about what we're drinking. Um, I decided to grab because I was running behind. Um, I found some Ice Spice Baby, which is my favorite cider. I thought you ran out. I, I did run out, but I found some at the store in the back <laughs> of the, and I'm very proud of myself. Anyway, so it's from Flat Rock Cider Company. I live up in North Carolina, but it is, um, it tastes kind of like uh, cranberry spice, and it's to the tune of Ice Ice Baby, which makes me very happy. CR, <laughs> what are you drinking? Well, I'm sticking to the cranberry theme. I have some cranberry vodka, oh. not planned. Look at that just blending on no we don't even call each other i did get some mm-hmm. water in my new drinking with author swag you get some of the swag though <laughs> being on the show we're a Excellent. podcast with swag um michael <laughs> what are you drinking so i'm drinking um copper tail unholy it is a, let's see if i got it right there it's a uh, tampa-based brewery i'm out of tampa florida so it's a tampa-based brewery it's a nine percent uh american tripel well so that's- it's you sound like a beer connoisseur. I say that it because is probably I call it my uh, my desert island beer because if I was stranded on a desert island, it's the beer I would bring with me. Oh, and what did you oh. say it was called? Unholy. Unholy. I'll have to see if Corey likes that. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a it's from a Copper Tail Brewery out of uh, ta- out of Tampa, Florida, and I'm drinking it out of my Baby Yoda pint glass. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Okay. So for the um, people listening in the listening audience that don't know you, can you talk a little bit about what you write? So I have been a freelance sports writer for about 15 years, and this is my debut novel. Um, So I'm now kind of venturing into more sports-related fiction. Um, And I say sports-related because the devil plays a role in, in my first book, my debut book. And so it becomes sort of like a sports paranormal fiction. Okay. And I definitely want to make this, I right now have the idea for at least the trilogy. So, and uh, so, and, and I also published a little joke book a few years ago. I did some stand-up comedy. I'm sure we'll talk about that more, but I did a little joke book, self-published it on Amazon. So it's, it's really is whatever kind of sparks my interest for a little bit, but I think this trilogy with the devil and everything, it's, or this storyline with the devil is going to be at least three books. Um, and then I do a lot of sports freelance stuff on the side too, you know, much more statistical based. Um, also write some stuff in my professional field of cybersecurity. So I'm kind of all over the place. So if you Googled me, you'll find a whole bunch of stuff, but pr- primarily I want to focus fiction-wise, novel-wise on this uh, theme of the devil and all that stuff. So, so you grew up to be a writer, which is cool because not a lot of people grow up to be writers that want to be writers. So and let's so let's journey back. Everybody journey back with us, Scooby Doo. Let's go to yeah, exactly your 
Um, I just watched a Scooby-Doo episode of Supernatural because now yes. I'm on season 14. I've decided I'm going to power through season 15. I'm going to do it. I back We've off. been saying it and we haven't finished the last season in a week. Like we did the same thing. We started overpowered through the whole thing and now we're like, oh, come on. It's too much to binge at one time. Yeah, no, I'm doing it. I'm going through. But um, my question for you is, when did you just... When did you decide you wanted to be a writer? Like, were you one of those kids that wrote cute little short stories that your mom has that can pull them out and make fun of you? Or, <laughs> um, well, I it was weird because I wrote a lot of poetry, as most uh, teenage angst in the '90s, early 2000s did. Um, and you know, was I uh, words and writing kind of always kind of came natural to me, and just writing. You know, obviously read a lot, read a lot as a kid, listened to a lot of hip hop, which is a lot of lyrical, um, lyrical music. And so writing just kind of became a thing. And I just started doing poetry. And then it became me writing for my school newspaper, writing for my college newspaper. And then it was like, well, let's branch this out, start, let's start doing short stories. And then, you know, taking art, writing articles. And this book just kind of came out of a short story. And I realized what it took to write a novel based on this short story that got from A to Z way too quick. And everybody was like, this needs to be a book, not a short story. So I wrote, you know, it was, it was a, it's been an evolution. It wasn't just, I wanted to just write a 300 page novel and just jumped right into it. It's been a slow evolution of me learning how to write and me slowly learning how to develop characters and develop plots and, you know, scenes and everything, so. No, that's very, very cool. So what, um, so you, let's go back though. So you did sports writing and stuff like that. It, did you just sort of launch into that? Kind of, sort of. Well, that's, that's interesting. Um, you know, I, I went to college, I majored in creative writing. So I'm a Florida State uh, University grad and um, majored in creative writing. Let me back up a little bit. Graduated high school, did the military thing for a few years and at that point, um, I befriended a bunch of people that wanted to play guitar and, and were really into musicians. And they were like, we need a singer. And I was like, well, I can't sing, but I, I think I might be able to write some stuff and um, wrote some songs that were just like, I still have these scrap pieces of paper of really bad, don't know what I'm doing songwriting. songwriting. And we never really did anything with it because you know we're just a bunch of dudes sitting around drinking, messing around with guitar. Um, and then I did a Florida, went to Florida State and majored in creative writing and didn't really know what I wanted to do with that, only that I knew how to write and was good at it. And, uh, you know, took a lot of poetry classes, article essay classes, short story classes, things like that. And when that finished, I didn't know what I wanted to do career wise. So I ended up becoming a um, getting into government contracting because I had this military background. They were willing to pay more than just a struggling writer, you know, uh, you know, graduating college, working for a newspaper. So they paid me a little bit more than that. So I went that route. But in the meantime, I still had this, this writing was in my blood. And so I started my own blog. I started a blog and it was just like album reviews and go to a concert and write about it or go to a baseball game and write about the experience. And it was just things about town type of writing and started getting noticed a little bit. I started getting linked on bigger blogs would be like, hey, check this guy out. He just wrote about this concert or this event and, and things like that. And really developed my confidence from there as, as a writer. And then it was, well, 
if you're going to link to me and say, hey, check out my, my article, can I just write for your website? So I was writing for bigger and bigger websites, doing a lot of freelance stuff from there. And then that just developed the confidence over the years. Like I said, as a writer, next thing I know, I had a portfolio of articles that I'd written for, you know, pretty big websites, a lot of them in the sports field, because sports blogging and sports writing was starting to develop a little bit more in like the late 2000s, 2008 to 2012, you know, and, and it was easier for me to make a name for myself there. And it was something I enjoyed writing. Tampa has a lot of sports. So it was easy for me to just go to a game and, and just write about it. So, and then music and, you know, being a metro area, there's a lot of music and stuff that comes here too. So I was able to do all that. And then, like I said, just build the right network of other writers to develop the confidence that, hey, I'm working on this story. Can you read it? Can you read this? And develop that community. So, and then that's what kind of got me. So I've always been working on the side as a government contractor. I've been doing that for about almost 20 years. And I just always find the time to write no matter what. It's, it's ingrained in me now. That is awesome. So let's talk about going to curveballs. So where did this idea come from? So this idea is an interesting story. Um, I was doing government we contracting. Love interesting on stories. Here. I was about to say everything. It's our, our favorite thing. Everybody takes a drink and let's hear the interesting story. So the book is actually um, the um, I wrote it in Afghanistan. So. I was working as a government contractor in about 2012. And I, you know, Afghanistan, especially 2012, probably even more so now, internet connection was horrible. So you can't really stay up on what's going on in the States. You can't stay up on your favorite sports. You can't stay up on your favorite TV shows, anything like that. And my work schedule out there was 12 hours on, 12 hours off. So I'd go to work for 12 hours get off of work and okay, so I've got 12 hours. If you sleep for about six is about my normal sleep time. I've got six hours to burn. You go to the gym, you get a little workout in, you know, whatever, something to burn off some calories. And then what do I do with the other four hours or so? You know, you can catch up on your DVDs, you can catch up on your reading. I started writing a story about a baseball player and, okay. and it was a short story. And I was like, bam, just blasted it out to a few friends. And they were the ones that were like, well, he just jumped to the major leagues. Did he ever play in the minor leagues? So, or like, you know, what is his life like before he did this deal with the devil? And, you know, oh, cool. It's wrapped up in three pages. Great. Now what? You know, so I just drew an outline while I was there and I would write about a page and a half to two pages almost every night. Next thing I knew, by the time I left Afghanistan, I had 200 pages written. Wow. And Yeah. So I got back, you know, I was there for about 13, 14 months and I got back with my 200 page, you know, rough draft. And I spent about a year or more just editing, just every night, rereading, rereading, re-editing, re-editing. And I didn't really know what to do with it. I was like, do I self-publish it? Do I submit it to publishers? What do I do with this? You know, it's like, I like it. I didn't really like the ending. And then I went to grad school and put it aside because I couldn't do grad school, trying to work and figure out what to do with this manuscript all at the same time. And so it just kind of sat on a hard drive for about five years. I didn't even touch it. Um, when the pandemic hit, I got laid off of my job and I had a whiteboard full of projects, creative projects or other just things to do. And it was on there. And I was like, well, I'm not doing anything right now. And there's no sports. There's nothing to, you know, like, 
there's no new content being developed right when the pandemic hit. Everybody just kind of stopped. So I was like, let me knock this thing out. And I rewrote the ending, gave it a brand new ending. And it was actually inspired by some other current events that had happened in sports. And I was like, well, let me rewrite some of it. A uh, friend had given me some real good suggestions to alter the voice um, to, in the book, there's a sports announcer that kind of introduces the big games that the player is in. And so I inserted these, the voice of an announcer to kind of break up the flow of the narrative. And that was a last minute um, addition that a friend of mine had given me that a uh, Jay Busby who writes for Yahoo Sports and has written a couple of fiction books along the way. And I forget the name of his books. Uh, Earnhardt Nation is when he wrote on Dale Earnhardt and uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. And, and that's obviously nonfiction, but he's written several books, fiction and nonfiction. But Jay read it and Jay was like, you need to break up the narrative. So I did this announcer in there. He's like, that perfect, you exactly did, you know, that advice. And so, like I said, the pandemic hit, published or um, had this manuscript and really sought to get it published in uh, during the pandemic. So did you publish that, it yourself? Wow. Um, so, well, yes, I'm this surprise. How did that become a weird exasperated yeah. side question? Yes. Um, so the second edition is self-published. The second edition, which has the fire on the cover in the home plate and the fire. If you've seen the book, um, I have a copy right there. Right it's, like, it's right behind you. You don't have to <laughs> oh, get yeah. up and move. There's literally it a picture is. of it on your wall. <laughs> this is it. That's the cover on the wall. Yep. So that's the second edition. And the first edition, I went through a publisher, and this is a kind of a nightmare story and a less, major lesson learned. I was looking for just small Florida publishers. And I wanted, you know, I'm a local writer, let's do local publishing, you know, uh, let's just get it out there. I just want to be published. Being published sounds so cool, let's just do it. And I went to a publisher out of Winter Park, Florida, which is a suburb of Orlando. And he's like, oh, it's gonna cost you to be published. I didn't know anything oh, about it. No. Oh, you got vanity, vanity press. <laughs> yes. You got vanity press, my friend. Yes. And that is not the cover that's on the wall. So he did a bad cover. He had typos on the back cover. He had typos in the book. His editing team was a bunch of college students that when I got their suggestions, I rejected about half of them because they were just horrible. Um, I was like, no, we, you're ruining my book. And he was like, oh, well, do you not want it published? I was like, well, I do. And I've already paid you money. So just give me what you got. And he came out with this book and it's on Amazon and it was just really bad. And I was just like, oh, I can't sell this. Like, this is bad. This friends and family bought it and that's about it. It was really tough for me to sell it. And I was just like, no, oh goodness, what do I, what am I, what did I do? So after about six months of just emailing him back and forth, I don't want to mention his name because I actually have legal action going on against him right now. Um, so I'm not going to name names, but I would email him back and forth. And the emails I got back from him were just like, well, you paid for it. We're done. I'm not doing anything else for you. I'm not, I'm not even fixing the back cover for typos. And I was like, oh no, like I'm stuck with a really bad product. So I still had obviously still had rights to the book. That was one thing that I knew enough in the contract that was absolutely clear that I needed. So I still had the rights to the manuscript. 
And I said, I'm going to republish this. I'm going to do a second edition. And I know it's only been out for six months, but I'm going to put out a second edition. And I, I went to Fiverr.com and I found a good editor and she edited it front to back. I said, okay, now I have a good manuscript that I'm confident in. How do I put a book together? How do I find a cover artist? And the cover artist is a guy by the name of Mojo Hand, um, which in the blues, that's kind of the mojo. You get your mojo from the blues and all that stuff. And he does a lot of blues art. He does album covers, posters, concert festival posters, uh, T-shirts, all sorts of stuff. Like that's his thing. He's blues artist. And so I reached out to him and said, hey, man, I've been following you on Instagram and I love your art. I even have a T-shirt with your art on it. Um, do you do book covers? He's like, dude, I do anything. If I can put my put ink to it or paint to it, I'll put your art, I'll put art on anything. So we came up with a good price. He gave me three or four, you know, pencil suggestions. And I, I ran with this, uh, this art cover here in the back. And I was like, yeah, home plate, fire. He wanted to do something that's more symbolic of curveball okay. at the crossroads. Not the original cover had the devil and the person sitting under a tree, which is a scene in the book but the art was just off and it never looked good to me. And because I come to find out that the publisher used a nature artist to draw. Yeah, I said this, I was like, you used a nature artist. So many owls by the, in swampland and all sorts of stuff. And their art looks great on their page, but he used the wrong kind of artist for the whole thing. And when I realized that I was like, God, this guy did such a horrible job of really preparing me for success. So Mojo Hand did my cover and, you know, I knew that by having Mojo Hand to do my cover, I was going to get automatic recognition in the blues art community okay. because, because they knew his art and it's actually paid off. And, you know, people are like, oh, Mojo Hand did your book cover? Sold, you know, and I had him sign, sign several copies and those have sold real well and he's selling them on his website. So it's this cool synergy between me and him, and it's been great. Um, so back to the book. Okay. I had the artwork, had the had a re-edited version, you know, that me and this editor on Fiverr went back and forth on. And then it was just formatting, the back cover, you know, all the other pieces of the book. And that took me all summer 2021 to do, uh, from about March to about September, October. And then, you know, I had gone to local bookstores. I said, how do you order your books? How do, and then they introduced me to Ingram Spark. And I said, okay, cool. Now I have the distributor and you know what, I have, I have a business degree. So it was like, okay, so I know that there has to be a supply channel here. There has to be, you know, I need good mark. I need to do my own marketing. I need to do all these steps because now I'm running my own business. And I'm now an entrepreneur of my own book. And it was a complete learning process from, about March of 2021 to about September, October 2021. Submitted, obviously, you know, you, you guys know the process. Submitted to Ingram. Ingram takes at least a few weeks, and you got to pay this money. You got to pay the ISBN number. You got to pay um, all these other fees and everything like that. And I was like, wow, this is adding up kind of quick. Um, but that was all 2021. So it finally was published in November 2021. This version right here, the second edition. Super excited. And the reception has been 10 times better than this, this god-awful version that that, uh, that dude put out. I still had to buy him out of his inventory because I did not want him selling the book at all. 
And so I said, how many do you have? He's like, well, I can print a hundred more. You owe me a hundred more sales. I'm like, whatever, dude, how much? So I bought him out of his inventory. So I own all the ver- the first editions. So I was like, if this, by some reason, you know, by my own hustle or whatever, it gets popular. I have a hundred more of the original version in my apartment that, you know, is like going to be a collector's item one day. So that's what I keep telling myself. That I'm going to say, so I went and I looked at the cover. Like, first of all, you wouldn't know it's the devil. It just looks like a guy walk creepily watching somebody sleep under a tree. Yeah. Uh, like there's nothing to show it or whatever. But I also just want to point out that I love your review of your own book on your Amazon. It's probably the greatest thing I've ever read. Well, like, this is what we're <laughs> going to do. It's just so awesome. Break, Everybody should get it. You're going to read it. So we will be right back with Drinking With Autumn. Our sponsor today on Drinking With Authors is Skunk Brothers Spirits. Skunk Brothers Spirits was started by a family of disabled veterans focused on locally sourced quality distilled spirits. Their name was inspired by their pops, who was nicknamed Skunk. Skunk's father was a moonshiner in Oregon back when it wasn't exactly legal. Now the brothers are taking the family business legal with their Washington-based team using their grandfather's Prohibition-era moonshine recipe to bring small batch spirits to the gorge and beyond. From the moonshine corn whiskey to the apple pie brandy, all of their spirits are handmade in Washington. Believing they already have the best ingredients in the local community, they work with local farmers and suppliers to produce the highest quality spirits from scratch. You can find them on Facebook at Skunk Brothers and on Twitter at Skunk Bros Inc. Or visit their site www.skunkbrothersspirits.com and use coupon code DWA10 at checkout to read 10% off your order. You can always also ask your local retailer to start stocking Skunk Brothers Spirits. Regardless of how you get your hands on a bottle or two, grab a drink and don't forget to get skunk. We're back. CR, enlighten us to this review, please. <laughs> okay, so I, I'm always super nosy when I go through stuff. And so I was scrolling through your reviews, which are all amazing, but it Thank was you. the bottom that says author's bias review. And I'm like, what is this? And he wrote, I wrote it. Of course, I gave it five stars. But anyway, I want to thank everyone for reading and reviewing. It means a lot. And I'm just like, that is such a smooth move. I didn't know you could write a review on your own thing, but to go on to something like that, like, of course, because it's kind of like whimsy and stuff, people are just going to like eat it up. And it cracked me up unreasonably. So thank you. you. I appreciate that. I figured if Amazon deleted it because you're like, we can't have the authors, but whatever. So I was just like, but it's a five-star review. So it's going to help my, my algorithm out a little bit. So it's worth a shot. Right. That's what I was oh thinking. I was like, he is so fucking slick because he went on and just jumped his own score. So <laughs> I like it. <laughs> mad props, mad props. Um, so let's talk a little bit about um you found us through Mark Muncie, who's one of our co-hosts and a really good friend of both myself and the podcast. He referred you because you were at a convention with him. So you you went. You went to a convention? How did you meet him? No. Okay, just... No, so he um, he does a lot of work with um, books at Park Place in Gulfport, Florida. Uh, Nancy's the, the store owner there. Yeah. And Nancy is one of the several book owners, or bookstore owners that I went to and was like, 
help. I have this book and I really want it to be in every bookstore possible. I want to sell this new exciting version that I have. And so Mark gave me Nancy's number and, and Mark took a liking to me because Mark also works in cybersecurity as his, um, his day job. And we were talking about cybersecurity and we talked about different things. I mean, you know, we just had a lot in common and mm -hmm. he obviously has a much longer history of writing than I do. So he kind of just mentored me and just kind of led me in the right direction. And okay. we were talking and they carry my book there at, at um, Books at Park Place. And Nancy's been great. And we do want to do book signings there. And I'd, I'd love to do conventions and everything else possible, everything possible. And I was about to leave one day and Mark's like, do you want to be on a podcast? And I was like, yes, when, where, how? And he's like, it's drinking with authors. So that's when I spent some time and, you know, listened to a couple of your shows and I was like, yeah, I would love to. So he's like, okay, here's the address. And, um, you know, and that's when we started corresponding back and forth about me coming on here. So Mark's been great. Um, you know, so a lot of, I guess, props to Mark, I guess that's the right term, you know, props to Mark for helping me out, give me, give him a shout out, um, for just leading me in the right direction. And, and Nancy as well for, you know, the, just the guidance and then the small bookstores, I have a really soft spot in my heart. My mom owned a bookstore for about five years um, in the East coast of Florida, Melbourne, Florida. She owned a bookstore called once and again, bookstore. And um, this was of early two thousands and it was just her. Like I did not have the knowledge of business and marketing and anything like that to really help out. And I was a college student about five hours away and she owned this bookstore. And when 2004, about six hurricanes hit the state of Florida and yes. nobody bought books. They were all buying plywood and tiles for their roof and, you know, everything you need when hurricanes are hitting every other week. And so that, that year, really after about year, that was, I think it was about three year, three of her five year lease. She fell in the red as many small businesses did that year. And she's like, I can't, I can't have a good enough year to get out of the red no matter what my last year my lease is. So she just really was like, all right, I'm closing down and let the lease run out and never opened up her, book, her bookstore again. So she's an avid reader, books, former bookseller. And so I have, when I go into a small bookstore, I like books on Park Place and like some of these other bookstores in Tampa area, my focus is how can I bring people to your store through my book that they're not only there by my book, but help you sell more books and pay your rent and put food on your plate and put food on my plate. And so that's, I want that synergy with every bookstore that I work with. I think that's fantastic. And that's something that's I will awesome. absolutely say for everybody out there. If you can support a local bookstore, absolutely the best thing to do in the entire world. Amazing, amazing thing you can do is go purchase books from them. If you like paper books, especially, don't go to Amazon. I know it takes a little difficulty. Go to your local store, meet your store they owner. They will order it for you. Yes. Yeah. I don't think that's a lot of things that people don't realize because they're, you know, they think smaller stores don't have the access. They all do. And most of the time they're nicer about actually letting you know when they have your book in. Yes. Yes. Yeah, 100%. I, I can't advocate going to small bookstores enough. You know, and, and I've learned also the, the type of different used bookstores or different independent bookstores out there. There's ones that only really cater to what the New York Times bestseller list. And, you know, you've got your small 
independent new bookstores, but then you got your, a lot of used bookstores out there too that, you know, they're selling, they need to sell more products because they're selling them at cheaper prices than, you know, your $15, $20 uh, hardcover books, New York Times bestsellers. Absolutely. Let's talk about fan interaction. So besides giving yourself a five-star review, <laughs> what has it been like to get fan interaction on your book? It's been great. You know, the first edition, like I said, it was only really friends and family kind of feeling, I don't say they felt sorry for me, but they were like, oh, cool, you printed a book. Yeah, cool. This book with the new cover, it's been great. I've done a lot of book signings. If you looked at the website, um, I have, a, you know, a book signings um, about one or two every month, so only on the weekends. Um, but it's been great. I just did a book signing in Clarksdale, Mississippi, which is... Um, the home of the blues, um, you know, the book has a big, cause it's crossroads, the devil, Southern folklore There's a big blues um, influence in it. So a home of the blues, Clarksdale, Mississippi, the blues national blues museum is there. I just did a book signing there and I sold out in two hours, like 15, 20 books gone in two hours. I was like, wow. And, but it, and it was a music festival. So there was a lot of people mowing in, around town and I went to a small bookstore it's the reception has been great. Uh, one person just wrote, and I did not put this on the website yet, but they wrote a uh, local blues DJ here in Tampa said that it's a cross between the mythos of the crossroads and the optimism of baseball. Or you blended the mythos of the crossroads and the optimism of baseball very well. And I really enjoyed this well done. And I think that that's a really good, you know, not just, hey, I liked it, but the, like just that sense of the mythos and the spirituality of the crossroads and the devil and with the optimism and kind of the, like uh, the baseball good vibe story of a baseball book and just kind of put it together. And that was what I was going for. So the, the, um, the reception has been great and I, I can't, and it, it drives me to want to keep going and to see how far I can go with this, you know, and to just be like, oh, well, let's do another book signing and let's do another book signing. And, you know, I think if the reception was bad, which it was with the first one, I would not be as optimistic and as energetic about trying to do another book signing. And, you know, where else can I go to festivals? Can I go to, um, you know, all these different places with this book and where else can I go? Well, with that in mind, um, where is book two? So book two right now is on a piece <laughs> of paper. Um, Book two is front and back. I have a plot. I have a, an A to Z. And what I want to do is probably start about either late summer or fall of this year. I want to start writing um, because there's uh, I saw a tweet or a blog post one time by Patton Oswalt, the comedian. It said, create, promote, repeat. That's all it says. Three words. And I said, well, I did the creating in 2021. I'm promoting in 2022. Let's repeat in 2023. So, I, okay. So, as a you're going to do publisher, one book every two years. Yeah. You're no, no. Okay. No. Yeah. No. You can't do Hard that. <laughs> Hard pass on that idea. So, I love Patton Oswald. Don't get me wrong. I read the book his wife put out and watched the series, um, unfortunately, before her untimely death. It didn't get finished. He finished it for her. But, um, no, no, you need to, okay. you need to capitalize because the problem is this, once you sell that one book, they want more books, but if you right. inject six months a year, they'll have forgotten as much as I hate to say it, like they're not your 
like you lose your fans if you don't have something coming out. And the best thing in the world you could do is get the cover done for the next book, put it up for mm. pre-order, set yourself a deadline so that when people buy book one, then they know book two is coming and they can pre-order it, which will launch your statistics dramatically when the book comes out because you'll have all those sales queued up ready to go. But they okay. don't want to wait two years for your next book. Nobody wants okay. to wait two years. Like you should be writing now and that book should come out worst case scenario a year after your first one but as soon as humanly possible and if you got book three then right after book two goes up you put that cover up for book three and you get it going because okay. you want to capitalize on people's thirst for your books and how much thirst do you have if one you don't know when the next one's coming or two you know all of that i'm going to now ask you do you have a newsletter um, I do. So I have a news. I, I, well, I have a mailing list through the website, the GoDaddy website that I use. And there's a mailing list on the bottom and I try to do the blog and it automatically sends the mailing list once a week. That is not a newsletter, my friend. You need okay. to resolve that. You need to keep your, we're going to talk offline. There's some things okay. you need to do, my friend, to get your success up there. Because a newsletter keeps those fans in touch with you while they wait for your next book to come out. And okay. keeps them engaged because a blog is good. A newsletter is better. 20% okay. of the people on your newsletter will pre-order your book. So if you start doing some numbers right now, like you get a thousand people, 200 of them will order your book. Like that's yep. how that works on average. But if you're going out and you're finding all these things and you're like, you're going out to these events, you're not capturing the marketing capital you could be capturing from this group of people who adore your book and stuff like that okay so, okay yeah you're gonna need to do that do you have a cover for book two yet no nope is it all gonna title? be the same theme like is it continuing from the first or is it gonna be like a trilogy of different sports so i think it's gonna be a, a true so yes it's gonna be a trilogy of different sports so the way i described the second book is the devil shows up in two different types of american music the blues and heavy metal this this book is very blues southern folklore themed meets baseball and so the second book is to be more of a heavy metal devil and i am also as well as being a sports writer of i focused a lot on baseball i also have a lot of ins with the professional wrestling community um as a matter of fact one of my you know i call the uh, the rocks family almost my family as well um so I have a lot of ends with them. So I was thinking sort of a similar themed book, but it would be a wrestling heavy metal, whereas this one is blues and baseball. And it's a different um, different target market, but the story is similar. Um, and then the third book, I have some ideas kind of on the, uh, like just jotted down, but I don't know if it's where I want to go with it yet. But the second book, have it kind of, like I said, A to Z, know where it's going. It's, it's going to be about, you know, whereas this one, the devil's fighting for this one guy's soul. And the second one, the devil more or less raises an army of fans uh, of a certain care of the main character. And it's like, well, thank you for raising an army for me. You know, the devil has bigger, grander, but it's going to be more of a heavy metal devil is this one is the Southern um, crossroads folklore devil. 
I like it. I like the fact that you're actually going to legitimately different. link heavy metal to the devil, which people and religious groups have been trying to do for years. I like that you're going to actually do that into a book. I hope you put the humor of that in that particular book because oh yeah, since <laughs> since a long time they've been trying to link those two bad boys together and. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember play the record backwards and you, yeah, I love that. <laughs> I'm going to be using the play the record backwards. It's going to be a, um, and a, it's going, I already have, like I said, it's already laid out. There's going to be a key moment of playing a song backwards in there. That's going to, I, I don't want to give away the whole book. No, don't uh, give away the whole thing. I just, I'm just yeah. saying that there's humor in the heavy metal devil situation. Yes. Oh my and goodness. Then, there's there's humor in the first book as well, um, and I try to be lighthearted because I'm dealing with souls and the devil and things like that. So I always try to make it as witty as possible as well. And so I'm definitely you know the the devil's going to be you know he's a heavy metal. I, I've got to keep it light where I'm dealing with souls and the devil. I don't want to make it too gloomy and dark and satanic. So you know. I, I think we're going to have to have that as famous last words on this show was I'm trying to keep the devil and um, everything lighthearted. I think that's, <laughs> I think that's, that's a pretty solid, solid, solid way to look at it. Like, you know, uh -huh. we're trying to do this. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your writing process. So the first book actually took you quite a bit of time yes. to get it done and written and out. Um, how long do you think it will take you on this next one? Well, you just said it needs to be done by the end of this year. So, <laughs> oh, no, I, I did. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to write about 30 pages tonight, 30 pages next, uh, tomorrow night. And that should be a good start. That, that will be a good how start. How long are your books? How long are your books? Um, well, this one is 280 pages. So shoot, I shot for that 72,000, um, 72,000 word mark. There you go. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. You can knock a couple out of those. You can knock a couple of those out a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, you sure. can. You can't. No, I'm saying from experience, you can totally do it. Yeah. No, totally. It writing is like um any activity that you do. The more frequently you do mm -hmm. it, the faster you get at it and the better you get at it. I'm just saying when you create a fan base, part of being really successful as an author is creating it in such a way that you're feeding the machine and you're finding other authors to tie into to feed the machine of the readers who, for the record, your readers will always read faster than you're ever going to put books out. That's just the way it goes. So there's yeah. some tips for the trade there. Thank you. Now, I appreciate it. questions do you have for Michael here? I think, well, mine was kind of, you know, how, when's your next book coming out, which, you know, Erica just told you is the end of this year. But after you finish this trilogy, you have the whole heavy metal and wrestling for this one. Did you, and you said you had an idea for the third one, but are you going to keep building on this world or are you going to go with a different genre? I might end up going different. Um, there's other books I would like to do. There's some nonfiction I'd like to write. Um, so I might go that way. Um, and that might be wrestling related because the wrestling world, the pro wrestling world doesn't have a lot of good writing to it because it's, you know, it's been hillbillies and, you know, and 
you know, it hasn't been very well depicted in mass media. And I have a friend of mine over the years, and I'm like, dude, I got to write your story somehow, and we got to figure this out. Um, he he has a borderline CTI, so the, what is that? Um, can, uh, brain damage from wrestling, but at the same oh, wow. time, he gone and got a, almost got a PhD in neuroscience to see what's wrong with him. And I was like, dude, we need to tell your story. We need to write down your life story about how when you realized that there were things wrong with your head, you went and studied it. And now you're a couple of classes away from a PhD in neuroscience. That's insane. Like that takes so much dedication. And so I was like, I think there's a story there. And I don't know if it's a 10 page article somewhere or if it's an actual book. So let's explore that. Um, there's some other writings that I, I, I want to do along the way. I've been working for about, this is another drawn out project. Um, I want to do a documentary film project, which I'm not a filmographer at all, but I've been working with some folks here in Tampa who are film people about doing the story of Tampa's first hip hop DJ. So I'm also a hip hop fan. And, and I mentioned that in the intro about, you know, building like my, my love for words and everything through hip hop. Tampa's first hip hop DJ was this guy by the name of Kenny Waters. And I'll tell you, I'll give you a minute synopsis of him. He died in 1994, right when hip hop was starting to get big. He died of liver cancer. He was 29 years old and he had been on the air for about eight years. And he was the one that played Run DMC and Public Enemy and all these things. He, he was Central Florida's first hip hop DJ, the public radio station here, nonprofit. They put him on from midnight to 3, 3 a.m. They're like, we don't know anything about this hip hop stuff. You've got this Saturday night midnight show you know this time slot play whatever you want so he would play the earliest hip-hop stuff and the, the community just loved it they're like you there he's he's our guy like artists would come to central florida orlando tampa area and go on his show just because he's the only one there and then he got tragically sick and died in six months in 1993-94 and it left the, the hip-hop community in central florida with such a big void that people still like have his tapes of his shows and you know, and all this stuff. And so I had friends here in Tampa who were big, who were friends of his back in the day. And they're like, somebody needs to tell this story. Because as hip hop has become a global phenomenon, these small little DJs that were the first to play it in their respective cities, that story's lost. And again, it was something that I was like, oh, okay, cool. I'll just interview a couple people, turn it into a five page article, you know, send it to whatever hip hop magazines out there. And they're like, no, you need to do a documentary. And I was like, I don't even own a video camera. And it's your so, phone. That's what everybody does now. Yeah, you know, like yeah, on the like, iPhone commercials, it's like create your own video. Sure, but that's it's not good for like, that. like something you can submit to like Sundance or whatever, some other film festivals. So, and, and I'm not saying that that's not a bad idea. As a matter of fact, I started when I was doing just interviewing people with a five-page article, 10-page article. That's what I was doing. I was either recording them audio or I was just putting the phone up and, and just recording them. But this guy with some really good camera equipment, he's like, I want to film everything you do. I was like, okay, that has taken about 10 years. And we have been working on this since 2010. And some people have even passed away since we've interviewed them. And I'm like, are we ever going to get this thing done? So it's another one of these things that's sitting on this whiteboard of creative projects. And I was like, this needs to get done. So, and it's a matter of hunting down people, interviewing them, getting the right people. It's, it's like herding cats when doing a documentary. And so I don't know if I could get that out of the way too, that clears up room for other, for other projects. 
Um, I've never heard the phrase herding cats before. Oh yeah. Oh you, yeah. No, I. That's what I describe my day job as: herding cats. That is amazing. I think that might. Use yeah, that all because the time now. you try to put a cat in a box, and then you try to go back with another cat to that particular box, and the first cat will be gone. It's very hard to gather all the cats to put them in said box. <laughs> I like it. Yes. Okay. So, Michael, as we're nearing kind of the end of this particular podcast, what advice would you give to writers out there? Don't use Vanity Press. Do your research. If somebody's paying you to publish, just walk away. Just be like, nope, no thanks. Just go away. A, um, a cover, uh, people do book, judge a book by the cover. Um, you know, make sure it's done well. Uh, a book, you know, it's an investment. It's, it's, it's very, very rewarding when it's done right. But if it's not done right, you will kick yourself the whole time it looks wrong. Agreed. Agreed. I like it. Okay. So shameless self-promotion time. Hold up your book again and let's talk about how to find you on social media. Sure. So the book is called Curveball at the Crossroads. It is at www.curveballatthecrossroads.com. It's available anywhere you can get a book. Like I said, I made sure it's available anywhere. Any small book, uh, small bookstore can order it. Um, I ordered it through Ingram Spark. You can get it through get it through the uh, through Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Walmart, any of those other major bookstores as well. Um, I am on social media at Crossroads Curve on Twitter. My Instagram is J uh, Jordy Scrubbings, which is J O R D I S C R U B B I N G S, and um, I. Just otherwise, just Google my name and you can find all the other stuff that, that I have out there. Very, very cool. Michael, it's been amazing to have you on this podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Okay, guys, this has been Drinking with Authors. I've been your host, Erica Lance. My amazing co-host has been the intrepid CR Rice. Our guest today has been Michael Lortz. The sponsor for this podcast that I forgot to mention in the beginning has been Skunk Brothers Spirits. Go to skunkbrothersspirits.com, coupon code DWA10. Take advantage of all of their luscious, luscious beverage choices. And we will see you next time.